The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co iTunes podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And folks, we've got a wonderful show for you tonight. So if you're in the car, kick those shoes off. Traffic's not too bad. And stay tuned. We have Sam Van Leer from Miami's Urban Paradise Guild live in studio with us for the entire 7 o'clock hour tonight. And he is going to be talking to us about the Energy Freedom Ride which is happening tomorrow. They're going up to our state legislature. And for those who have not heard the word, Florida's state legislature is actually in session early this year because of the election season. So from now on, we are going to be talking a lot about politics on the Only in Miami show because we are in that season. There's elections starting, and we've got some great guests lined up into the next few weeks that are political in nature. So put your shoes on and get ready. It is a major election year. Anyhow, this is the part of the show where I get a couple of minutes to speak directly to you, the audience, about issues of importance that affect us in Miami and beyond. And tonight, I'd like to speak about the Philip Frost Museum of Science project, which is Unfortunately, over budget and out of money. Well, I believe that it's a good move by the county mayor to ensure that funds are flowing so that there is no stoppage of construction. And his method of walking into the situation and making sure that taxpayers do not get stuck with a half-finished building is the right move. It points out the obvious fact that we have a facility which has naming rights, which is not properly underwritten. And that means we need to do, and, and it is going to take a certain gentleman, Mr. Frost perhaps himself, to step up and say, we need to sell these naming rights again and get another sponsor. Now, I wish I was being original and creative with that idea to resell the naming rights. But in fact, I am merely discussing the method that was used to complete the Adrian Arst Center, formerly known as the Carnival Center. In that case, uh, Mickey Arison was asked to donate and did make a major cash contribution to the Miami-Dade County Perform Performing Arts Center before it was completed, and it was named originally the Carnival Center. But Mickey is a very long-term citizen and resident and philanthropist in the city of Miami and wisely chose to essentially re-auction the naming rights to what is now known as the Adrian Arst Center for the Performing Arts so that the county would not have to foot 
the rest of that bill and to underwrite a substantial and very meaningful and important gift to the residents of Miami-Dade County by allowing those naming rights to be sold a second time. So, it is that time. Maybe people in South Florida need to reach out and let the folks at the Museum of Science know that this story is the recent past of what it takes to complete these public works projects in downtown Miami and that ultimately philanthropists will allow their money to be used even if their name isn't on the front door. Because there's many other things that could be named in these museums of science. And right now, the museum needs money for when it opens to make sure that any operating deficits are covered because the contingency fund is dry. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Bump the tweeters and the speakers, turn the baseline up. If you're toasting, what's your potion? It's swelling up your emotions. Roller coasting, dance promotion. She's ego tripping, you're boasting. Focus, 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 focus. Five and time, you're cute, she's fine. You're halfway there with a spit of your rhyme. You can fake it till you make it, like a wish on a star. Put your hands in the air, cause you know who you are. The Only in Miami Show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. 
And we're back live with Sam Van Leer. He is the head of the Urban Paradise Guild, an organization based in Miami, Florida, public service organization. Sam, thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So, Sam, tell our audience a little bit about the Urban Paradise Guild. Well, I founded the organization to be crude because I thought it would suck if Miami drowned. Um, it would suck. Yeah. I mean, and, that's that's just plain and simple. It yeah, would. Yeah. So um, my father is a physical oceanographer. So he's one of these clients, climate scientists that the politicians like to disrespect. Uh, but I grew up with this. And so I had a very, very short learning curve, like already dealt with. So I was very concerned that there wasn't enough being done to deal with immediate environmental problems and that there wasn't enough being done about dealing with the causes and effects of sea level rise. So I founded an organization that would do both. So tell our audience a little bit about some of the service projects that you guys have in Miami, because there's like, what, five major projects right now, right? Well, we have volunteer opportunities five times a week, and we are a volunteer-powered organization. So uh, if we don't have volunteers, stuff ain't happening very fast. Uh, we currently have projects going on uh, at Olita River State Park, where I founded the organization. Right. Olita is, is in the northeast corner of Miami-Dade County. That's correct. It's uh, kind of right where the intercoastal is crossed by 163rd Street by Sunny Isles Beach in Aventura, North Miami, North Miami Beach. It's right at that intersection there. Right. Uh, and uh, it's a huge park. It's 1,000 acres, and it needs a lot. Uh, so we've been working there since 2008 when I founded the organization. We've planted over 7,000 mangroves there so far. Uh, our current big project is a maritime hammock, which we've planted with approximately 3,600 native trees and shrubs. Uh, and that project's been going on since uh, 2010. Okay. So we just keep on chipping away at it. We were there on Sunday. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, we're also working um, at uh, Arch Creek East Nature Preserve, which is a North Miami City park on 135th Street right on the bay, east of Biscayne. Right. That's uh, just off of Biscayne Boulevard. Yeah. It's immediately south of uh, FIU Biscayne Bay Campus, and it actually has a great bike path going through it that allows people to commute safely to school. Uh, so we're doing uh, coastal resilience, urban forestry there, similar to what we're doing at Olita, but a much smaller scale and a different partner. And uh, so as of uh, this last week, we're about 99.5% done removing all the Burma reed there. Uh, so that's been a long work of... That's, uh, that's a big project. Burma reed is an invasive plant, right? Yeah, it's an invasive plant. I'd say it's from hell. It's actually from Asia. <laughs> and uh, it's like a bamboo junior. Uh, it grows uh, up to about 15 feet tall, uh, grows very densely. It spreads through airborne seeds, which blow around, and each seed head can hold uh, 2,000 seeds. And it also spreads underground uh, like bamboo or like uh, some people are more familiar with bananas. So it grows up off the root system similar to that. And then what are the, the rest of the projects? There's a couple of others, Sure. Right? Uh, our main urban agriculture site is over at Amelia Earhart County Park. It's right on the border of Hialeah Opalaka off the Gratney Expressway and 119th Street. Um, we're in the process of uh, uh, trying to create a garden center there so low-income families who live in the area nearby can come out and grow their own food, have their own family gardens. 
Uh, we're hoping if we can get enough uh, support for this that we could host 300 low-income families, each with their own individual family garden plot. And there would also be a nursery associated with it and a food forest that we're doing with the Mountain Bike Club. Okay, great. That's So that's actually also like the north-central city of Miami project? Well, it's north of the city of Miami, yeah. so it's, it's, it's north-central well, Dade. Yeah, north-central Dade, right. Yeah. And, uh, and then... There's like one more. Am I actually there's uh, there's Vizcaya Museum and Gardens, which is of course right near Coconut Grove, right at the end of I-95 or the beginning, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Where the former Museum of Science that is correct used to be. That is correct. Well, actually, the structure is still there, and, uh, and you know that's another great question. What are they going to actually place in the former Museum of Science? Well, they're going uh, through uh, an, uh, a planning process now, where they've been collecting input from the community. Uh, they that's also, a county planning process, right? Uh, it's a Vizcaya planning process that is under the county. Okay. So Vizcaya is actually they have their own um, nonprofit that uh, uh, has a huge input on it, and but it's actually owned by the county and governed by the county. Okay. Um, so uh, there we've actually been involved in doing uh, habitat rescue projects, removing invasive plants and trees that made it into the hammocks. And the hammocks are really amazing. Uh, most people are familiar with the house, and hey, that's amazing too, of course. Uh, but there are invasive trees that got into the hammocks and got a, a, a foothold right after Hurricane Andrew blew a hole in everything. Sure. And uh, it was that long in the making before we came in and intervened. And, and when did you guys when did you guys start the Vizcaya project? Well, we started doing education there in December of 2008, and we started doing operations there in July of 2010. And so we started with uh, removing invasives. We also operated a section of the Vizcaya nursery, and we could actually collect um, old-growth tree seedlings uh, and grow them there for use in other projects in other neighborhoods. So, you know, most folks are familiar with natural selection, and uh, what they might not know, though, is that Vizcaya's hammock is old growth. It's virgin forest. It's never been logged. And that means the genes are actually the best on earth. Well, also, it's something that we've talked about on the program a lot, and, and maybe we'll get to it later, the, the whole Pine Rockland situation. But just like the Pine Rocklands, it means it's a natural forest community. Correct? Well, it absolutely is. And the, the Richmond Pine Rocklands, which we've also had some involvement uh, uh, with protecting, not operationally, yeah, um, yeah. that's an old growth forest as well, although some parts are degraded, some parts are doing well. But this is virgin. This is still This is you know, virgin original. hammock, and it's actually the last major remnant of the brickle hammock that used to stretch from the Miami River south to the Grove. And so there are actually national record trees in there, and we are allowed to go in and collect the seedlings from these trees. So we can then plant them as part of projects elsewhere. That's so cool. It's, we call it the Heirloom Tree Initiative. So we've planted these trees in Liberty City, in Little Haiti, uh, in uh, Lita River State Park, now at Arch Creek East, now also at um, uh, Amelia Earhart in the mountain bike trails. So we can take the best genes on earth, and we know they're the best because mama survived for, you know, 300, 500 years. Sure. Every hurricane that God could throw at her, she's still standing. And <laughs> that's, that's uh, pretty cool, actually. It, it, it is. You would and, think that would make a more resistant tree. Well, what it does is it means that those genes have been tested. 
and that's good enough for me. And so um, it's really a, a, a it's totally a, a pleasure to work there, and it's a privilege to work with them. So one thing that's cool is that we've planted our own pine rocklands there, in collaboration with the Vizcaya horticulture staff. And uh, we've actually created proof of concept that you can start from scratch and that you can do it with volunteers. And uh, they're thriving. They are really thriving. And while uh, it does take a fair bit of work, uh, we can't do controlled burns there. Uh, there's something about the historic structures. They're really not into fire there. Uh, hmm. You yeah. can't uh, light everything on fire next yeah, to yeah, a building. That, I wonder why. Yeah, it wonder says, why. sounds like a bad idea for some reason. Yeah. Hmm. But on the other hand, because we've established this as a proof of concept, what this means is that Vizcaya is now considering using the model that we established as part of their planning process for new habitat in the Vizcaya village. That's what's soon going to be known as the former Miami Museum of Science area. Gotcha. Now, the Vizcaya villages continued to exist. Um, it's got historic service buildings in it. It's where the staff lived. It's where the horse barn was, where oh, the sure. dairy barn and the... I, I remember going to some of those buildings. The, yeah. the Museum of Science used to have this small collection of buildings, I want to say, on the east side of the property, like closest to Bayshore Drive. Um... These are actually separated by a fence, and they're okay. at kind of the northern edge of the yeah, parking yeah. lot. But as far as I know, they've always been part of Vizcaya. They were actually used by the county park department as their headquarters for quite some time. Oh. Uh, but not for many years. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool place. And it's actually, um, it's a little archaeology. There's always history. I mean, we've found stuff digging things up where it's like, what the heck is that? Uh, I found one that uh, I thought maybe it was used for vampire slaying. Uh, <laughs> it, turned, it turned out that it might have actually been a, um, an, a cast iron tent stake for a luxury tent. Oh, luxury tent. Well, uh, that sounds historic. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, look, the thing is that uh, James Deering, who built the estate, uh, he started building it over 100 years ago, 1914. And... Um, he was a very rich man, but he came into it with a conservation ethic. And what he said is, you're not going to cut down any trees that you don't actually have to cut down to build the house, to build the gardens, to build the lagoon. Now, with that said, they cut down a heck of a lot of trees. Yeah, However, they built a really big house. <laughs> and actually, the house is only a fraction of the footprint. Yeah, so they have the, the gardens, huge gardens, but right. what a lot of people might not be aware of is that there was a whole lagoon system that extended along the coast to the south in property that's now Mercy Hospital and sure. uh, LaSalle School, owned by the archdiocese. The farm area was the Vizcaya Village, and so the service buildings that are left there were just a smaller part of it. The gardens, or I should say farm itself extended to the south into, I think it's called Bayside Heights Estates. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, what we're doing now with the Vizcaya Village, and I'm privileged to actually be consulting with them on the, um, the planning process, is kind of coming back to the future and uh, reestablishing some of that agricultural capacity. And they're talking about doing some very good stuff. So they haven't finalized anything. I can't tell you anything more than that. But um, I can tell you that the people who are working on it are creative and doing their best in the public interest to be consistent with Vizcaya's mission, which, frankly, 
I don't really think that the Museum of Science was consistent with the mission and the, the deed of transfer that the county got. It probably shouldn't really have been built there since it wasn't about Vizcaya and that's what everything was supposed to be. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's great to give our audience this kind of overview of the Urban Paradise Guild. So we're going to keep going in the next segment, but right now we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mama always said we were royalty. She even said it's staring in the face of poverty. Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind. Believe she put it in me. Because I live on my dreams. I get my fantasies wings. One day I'm going to be king. I'm going to make that woman so proud of her son. I know you heard about change. It's going to come. One question. Will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air like a champion. I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back with Sam Van Leer of the Urban Paradise Guild. And I wanted to play this because you're actually in this video that we released on onlyinmiami.co. This is an Only in Miami special report, the People's Climate March. National and state politics. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way to describe it. I mean, really, like 
like people are not thinking of it in these terms. So tell our audience why we as South Floridians, as Miamians, need to be most concerned with climate change today as the number one political issue for people in Miami and the west side, the east side. It doesn't matter what part of town you're in. Why is this so important, Sam? Well, climate change will end us. This is an existential threat. In other words, uh, if we can't get it right, we are actually going to end our way of life as a city. Well, our children or grandchildren are all going to be climate refugees. So basically what's happening is as the world gets hotter, uh, the ice caps are melting. Nobody knows exactly how fast they're going to melt. And when glaciers flow into the sea, that's new water flowing into the ocean. So it's not like an ice cube floating that melts. It's new water. And uh, every year, we're losing more and more land to sea level rise. And currently, you'll see it on the news because, oh, there's king tides. And those happen during specific tidal events that are natural. But before, with a lower sea level, that water didn't come into the streets. So That's true. I think everybody has noticed water in the streets. But before that, people have been speaking about it forever. So how do we get people to really recognize that water in the streets equals eventually water in your basement, water in your water table that you don't want there, and water in your homes one day, and then you have to leave? How do we make a bigger impact so that people understand that this is actually the natural order of things if we don't do something about it shortly? Well, I'd say uh, it's the inevitable order of things. Uh, it's the unnatural order of things because humans have created this problem. Um, what we all need to do is wake up and talk about it and demand action. Uh, the reality is that currently our political process is dominated by rich polluters. And they've controlled the dialogue. They've controlled the political system. They've invented a new side of the Republican Party, the Tea Party. And uh, they've essentially done everything that they can to assassinate science as a, a basis for making decisions, uh, frankly, it's nuts. And uh, it's in everybody's worst interest except for that tiny, not even a 1%. So, um, well, well, isn't it ironic that there's two presidential candidates from Florida and both are climate change deniers? Well, you know, they, climate change denial has gone through a number of different stages. Uh, and actually, it would be kind of... What acute. stage are we at now? Is it the grief stage? Is it the anger stage? Oh, I think that where we all need to be, us, we the people, need to be at the outrage stage. Uh, and we have to have... The, have the burning up the phone stage. And that's why I'm going to Tallahassee, and we'll talk more about that later. But uh, bottom line is that what they're doing now is they're saying, well, yeah, climate change is probably happening, but either we're not responsible for it or there's nothing we can do about it. And uh, so that there, I'm not a climate scientist. That's one of the standard lines that's been going around. Rick Scott has uh, given it some uh, some time. And, uh, well, he doesn't know what a hospital is, so I can understand why he doesn't know. He's not a scientist. Well, I mean, we've all heard, watched the, the deposition of him trying uh, to say, I don't know what a hospital chain is. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's that's who we have in the chair. Um, yeah. Where and, do we go from there? I mean, there's, there's an amendment uh, to the state constitution called Amendment 1 that passed last year. Is, is it being implemented properly? No, it's a travesty. 
Uh, essentially, what they've done is they've hijacked the People's Constitutional Amendment, which was very clear uh, about what the intent was, and now they're trying to redirect those funds to all kinds of um, BS. And uh, it's it's got very damn little with the original intent that we voted for, and they seem to forget that it's our money. But the problem is that the people that they answer to are the people who write the big checks. And, you know, the Miami Herald is an imperfect uh, uh, piece of journalism at times, but it was front page today that uh, uh, essentially Tallahassee has been completely hijacked. And uh, they've taken Oh, just in time. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, a lot of people don't pay attention to things that happen, for example, in the Supreme Court. And there's a lot that happens that I don't have time for. And, you know, it's hard to blame people. But with Citizens United, it basically put a huge black area over our elections and how they work and how things, you know, how the sausage is made is getting really ugly. And so there's a lot of black money that's floating around. Dark money. No, this is black. Black You can't see it. You have no idea where the hell it's coming from. And so that's who the politicians are actually answering to. And, you know, the Koch brothers have their own political party now, and they're the ones who are truly calling the shots. They're putting something like a billion dollars into the next national election cycle or have been. And um, that they don't do that because they don't expect a return on that investment. The only people who in the United States who might believe that is the U.S. Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) And not uh, Sotomayor, who's like, hell no. Uh, So we really need to grow up as a nation. And uh, so even though I founded Urban Paradise Guild to be a hands-on, hands-dirty, physically change the world, physically protect Miami, one of the things that triggered founding the organization was that I saw that if we don't get involved on a policy level, we'll lose ground faster than we can possibly heal it. Well, that's something that's, I think, unique about UPG versus a lot of other groups, which is that you guys do a lot of literal grassroots activism and volunteer work and service, but also are involved in policy because usually it's very much one or the other. And many times it's simply the other. It's just a policy group. Yeah. Uh, Well, frankly, we don't do uh, outreach. And the reason is simple. We've got work to do. We need help. We need volunteers. So we do recruiting. Now, um, you know, one of the dangers of doing things the way we do things is that on the one hand, we need resources for our operational functions. I mean, you wouldn't believe what our insurance bills are. Uh, just that alone. And, you know, people need to get paid for honest work. Uh, At the same time, uh, we have at times offended the powers that be. And that has absolutely reduced probability of getting some funding. So what we need is for, you know, others to step up and recognize that and help us carry on. And let's just say that, well, we need more of that. Well, I mean, if you're an activist, if you're speaking truth to power, Oftentimes, the power says, "Heck with that. Go, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> go there, work on it yourself." <laughs> there, yeah. Well, uh, actually, they don't say "go work on it yourself." They say something else in the middle. Uh, oh, yes, I, I meant to say that. <laughs> yeah, but this is an FCC regulated station. Yeah. Well, there was a certain uh, former, recently former Miami commissioner who tried to get me classified as a lobbyist, and fortunately failed. Really? I would, yeah, I was classified as a community activist instead. 
you were, in other words, you were a, the people's lobbyist. Uh, essentially, yeah. And actually, we have continued to do that. But the problem is that when you speak truth to power and when you get in the way of somebody else's grandiose plans that are, of course, bought and paid for by developers, uh, that's very unpopular. Yeah, it can be very unpopular in with the halls some of power. In, in the halls of power. But, you know, the reality is that, for example, one of the triggers for founding the organization was Virginia Key. And uh, they were trying to privatize the entire island under Mayor Diaz. And um, when I saw what was happening, and I grew up on Key Biscayne, so I've been seeing stuff like this happen every five or ten years. Somebody's trying to either take it all or take a slice of the pie. And Well, actually, I figured it out. The idea is we're trying to reduce Medicare fraud by drawing all the fraudsters to Virginia Key to submit new plans. And it's our way, of, as the city of Miami— it's a honeypot. It's it's you know policing by drawing all the the fraudsters and the shams and the scam artists to to our islands to keep them out of the rest of the mainland. Isn't that wonderful? It's like a barrier island approach to um, fighting fraud. You know it. Uh, the only in Miami barrier island. Yeah. Approach. Well, you know we do have the sewage treatment plant out there, and if we could put them into that waste stream, it might be a solution. <laughs> well, so so you got involved with Virginia Key. Um, we, we actually had uh, Mayor Lindsay, the, the mayor of Key Biscayne, out here to discuss the most recent drama uh, surrounding Virginia Key. And, um, you know, actually, it's great to, that you mentioned it. There's a follow up to that. Right. Um, you know, wasn't there some some recent action? There was the, the county did authorize the boat show for a couple of years, but not I don't think it's a done deal yet, right? Well, um, I'm not completely sure where the approval process is for the um, for the boat show, although I believe that the Federalis have given permission for construction. So they're putting in the pilings and stuff for all the docks. As far as I know, that's the most recent I've heard. But I think that to get real perspective on what the future could hold, uh, you have to look a bit further back. Um, what happened is when I got involved in the island, and this is one of the things that triggered founding Urban Paradise, was that they were going to privatize it, and the city of Miami had put a million dollars into creating a master plan that nobody from the public wanted. And then they ignored public um, resistance. And I went to every single meeting, every single public meeting that the city or the, the designers held where they were trying to sell us on this this piece of crap. Uh, and so I believe that I really had a deep understanding of what the public wanted because I was listening where they were not. And so I ended up pushing against the flow of other organizations that were trying to protect the island. I believe that we needed to have something we could be in favor of instead of being against. So I finally got tired of being stonewalled and I stood up at a public meeting and I said, look, let's have something we can all be in favor of. Let's get together and make our own plan and then we can push that plan and then we can all be positive about something. That's a good idea. And unified because the city was characterizing the resistance as not being in agreement when in reality it really was. And that's how the 2010 Virginia Key Master Plan came about? The consensus master plan. Yeah. So in September of 2009, we had a charrette at the um, at uh, Rusty Pelican. And before that, after I pushed for having a charrette, uh, uh, one of the other leaders who was 
uh, a leading person on Virginia Key anyway, said, hey, why don't you design the charrette then, Hotshot? <laughs> and I was like, okay, sure. So, so never invite when you you know know somebody's going to accept I guess right yeah well um, so so I mean there's the 2010 plan P- people are deeply concerned that it's being violated now but isn't there some new activity at City Hall as well I heard that there's a, a new group that's going to be established to well oversee. that's where I was going yeah because one of the elements that came out of the charrette and by the way the charrette developed a consensus about what people wanted for the island well and people then, may not re- understand what a charrette is okay it's, uh, a, a it's sh- just a public meeting about like design plans it's a public design workshop yeah it's and a public design workshop. yeah so it what happened is that that created a consensus then the master plan was developed from the consensus and then the city of miami voted on it but one of the components in that was to create a virginia key board by the way it was not an advisory board right okay. not just an advisor and Miami, uh, the city of Miami is filled with advisory boards that get steamrolled. Yes. So what's been happening most recently is, of course, many people are familiar with the fact that the mangroves got destroyed right next to the Marine Stadium, which violated the letter and the spirit of the master plan. And um, frankly, the boat show itself really isn't consistent with that. But the uproar that's come about from that... um, now there's this push, and they are establishing a Virginia Key Advisory Board, which is a big step closer. It's a big improvement. Uh, things can still get better. Uh, also, there's a new city commissioner for District 2, Ken Russell, who um, he has my respect so far. Um, That's City of Miami's District 2. It's the Eastern District, which covers Coconut Grove, Brickell, downtown, uh, all the way up to the Morningside neighborhood south of Northeast 62nd Street. And Virginia Key. And Virginia Key. And the port, right? Yeah. And all of the... Yeah, and Watson Island. Watson Island. Which is another hockey puck. Right. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, when I think of all of the fights over zoning and land use, they all center around the waterfront parcels. There's Parcel B. There's Virginia Key. There's Watson Island. There's Museum Park and the Conservancy that has been discussed and discarded and maybe permanently discarded maybe will rise again nobody seems to know um but it seems like an awful lot you know the the stadium plan the arena plan to put a a soccer stadium next to the american airlines arena it seems like all of the uh battles that pitch developers versus neighbors occur right there along the waterfront well that's that's where the gold is located that's where the most uh valuable land is located and of course, that's also the free land for the developers. If they can skew government to give them sweetheart deals. The sky rises. The sky rises or whatever. If they can create these sweetheart deals, the cheapest land is also the most valuable because it owns it's owned by we the people and given away by, well, people who aren't acting in our best interests. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a major, major problem in South Florida and especially in the city of Miami where – it seems to happen even though it's supposed to only happen by referendum. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a real short break, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Sam Van Leer from the Urban Paradise Guild. Sam, thank you very much for joining us in the studio tonight. It's a pleasure. So let's talk about the... It's it's starting tomorrow. It is the uh, Energy Freedom Ride. You guys are going to be busing up to Tallahassee to it, it basically say yes to solar power, yes to energy freedom, and no to fracking. So those three items. Let's go one at a time. Solar power. Why solar power? Well, um, just to repeat what I said before, it would suck if Miami drowned. And uh, this is one of the cleanest forms of power that we've got. Uh, here we are, the sunshine state. Why don't we have solar power? Well, the reason is because, unfortunately, we're not allowed to by the big energy companies that control our government. Okay, so you're talking about, for one, FPL. FPL, Duke Energy, these are huge. And, of course, FPL is big where we live. They're our monopoly. And they are a monopoly. You yeah. have basically no choice except for a few places that have municipal collectives like uh, Homestead, for example. Yeah, and the Florida Keys has their own energy collective. Uh, and their, their power company is actually run by the people, which is a totally different thing. So here's the problem. You know, monopolies have long been understood to be a dangerous thing. And the only reason that FPNL was allowed to establish a monopoly is, of course, that to build a power grid is a very expensive thing, and people get that. But they were also allowed to have a monopoly because there was a public service commission that was created, established specifically to protect the people from corporate abuse by monopolies. Otherwise, the monopoly would have been illegal. And it's this governance that allows monopolies. And unfortunately, now our whole government has been bought and sold, and that means the Public Service Commission has been bought and sold. Um, a former chairwoman of the PSC uh, said in an interview that it was the most corrupt governing body she had ever had contact with in her life, and that was the former chairwoman. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that bad. So the reality is that we should not need to have a solar choice amendment. That should be absolutely irrelevant. It should simply happen because the government should not be obsessed with the corporate annual reports and, you know, making profits for stakeholders. They should be obsessed with what's good for we the people, and frankly, they should be obsessed with preventing Miami from being drowned, and other coastal communities also, of course. So, okay, let's back up here. It's a lot of information. The Public <laughs> Service Commission is a board that sits in Tallahassee. How does it get its members? Uh, they're appointed by the governor and approved by the legislature or the other way around. I'm sorry I'm a little fuzzy on that, but they are appointed by elected officials who okay. allegedly work for us. So they're all appointed. We don't elect directly any of the members of this public service commission. And we established a monopoly for FPL, for Duke Energy, for anybody that's, you know, providing electricity solely because it's supposed to be regulated independently by this Public Service Commission, except that now we have one-party rule in Tallahassee, and that means that... We're screwed. 
<laughs> so no, it means well, that it means that at we, least the lights are on. I can tell you that. Yeah. But it, it does mean that uh, you know, for example, the the boondoggle where we're paying for nuclear power plants that may never be built, probably will never be built. Well, you know, one of the things that's really sick too is in addition to the value of solar energy. In fact, now if you invest in installing solar energy on your house instead of the stock market, you're going to get a better return. Okay. Um, it's actually becoming cheaper than carbon-based fuels. Uh, so there's literally no good reason to stop it other than the fact that it would actually cut into FPNL's profits. On the other hand, FPNL doesn't really have the right to make profits where we get hurt and somebody really needs to be watching our backs and because nobody is that's what's caused people to create this solar choice petition and, and, and that is also because when you generate this solar electricity um, you may wish to sell it back to the power company to be used somewhere else right isn't that the big issue here well that's one of the issues it's called net metering and uh it means that you can run your um electric meter backwards and, and boy and, does that piss them off and and the meters are all smart meters now they're all you know equipped to do this they're they're 21st century meters anyway sure but the nightmare of scenario for fpnl is let's say that you've got a bunch of folks in a neighborhood who all install solar and they get to gather and sell it to the neighbors well, why doesn't FPL in this case simply act as a broker and take the power from whoever you know has the extra and sell it to the next neighbor who doesn't, and then people don't have to worry about this? Isn't that something that could ultimately be profitable for them too? Just like not, Airbnb is the biggest hotel, new hotel company, but they don't own a hotel. It's not as profitable as operating everything and getting 100% profit. The, this would apparently cut into their bottom line enough that they want to slam the door and they've actually created a fake petition to confuse people who then are asked by the real petition people hey have you signed the solar petition they might not know that they signed the fake one and all the fake one does is maintain the status quo where fpnl can screw us that's kind of crazy but par for the course i guess it it really is but that's why we have to stand up for ourselves and so it you know it has to be actually a real constitutional petition which means people need to download it and they need to actually print it sign it with ink and mail it in and uh, there's been a billing dispute which the causes are a little murky but apparently the mercenaries that were doing uh, uh, petition uh, canvassing for the solar choice petition are withholding signed petitions until they get paid more than the solar choice people think that they are owed. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm a little confused. <laughs> basically, they hired people to get petitions signed, and now they're not being sent in. The the solar choice petitions. The good solar choice petition. The, the solar choice amendment is the good one. Okay, that's that's brutal. Yeah, but you know what's really actually cool about what's going on is that as part of this process. The folks who are on the, let's just say, the very liberal folks and the very libertarian or Tea Party folks have actually joined forces because everybody recognizes that big business should get the hell out of the way, that this is about what's right for the people. Well, you know, 70, was it 70% or 75% who voted for Amendment 1? 75. 75% of Floridians voted for Amendment 1. And this was an off-year election. Off-year elections tend to be more conservative voters, older voters, 
Um, and they voted for it. And in fact, I believe that it was a majority of Republicans who are voting for it. So if it was simply Republican voters, it still would have passed, although I think it had to make 60 percent. So the reality is that we all need to be standing up for this. And this is a, maybe a good time to start talking about the Freedom Ride. Right. Well, that's why we're talking about the Freedom Ride yeah. and the energy freedom aspect of it, but also fracking. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a very, very dangerous technology. And at this point, with oil prices plummeting, uh, it seems like fracking is going to go back on the shelf, but it's not yet. Well, you know, when when big energy, big carbon companies start something and they've invested a lot of money in buying politicians and uh, and creating these propaganda machines to drive them, um, that has a momentum. And so they're still driving it forward, and that was also mentioned in that Herald article that was in on the front page today. Uh, that essentially they're still pushing that, and you know, fracking the fact that here we live in a state, especially South Florida, that's limestone. What it'll do to our drinking water is scary as hell. Uh, we already have sinkholes. I mean, do we really want to have fracking? I mean, it's well, nuts. you know, in Ohio. When there's too much fracking, or in Oklahoma, especially in Oklahoma, um, it creates seismic activity where there used to be none. Virtually none. In other none. words, uh, earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. So, so here in Florida, we don't really have too many earthquakes, but we have this very porous limestone base that the entire sits, uh, state sits on. Um, you know, think that that white stone that you see in the driveways. I mean, it's very porous. If you pour a glass of water on it and come back the next day, it, it'll be at the bottom. It'll just go right through. Well, you could pour a lot of water through it, actually. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we've got these aquifers, which are huge underground rivers that flow through it, and that's where our drinking water comes from, man. Sure. And so they're talking about messing with our water supply for drinking water, and this is at the same time that sea level rise is pushing salt water into our aquifers from the other direction. We really cannot afford to this. Then you add in uh, the fact that uh, methane— is being released in an unrestricted way from fracking. And it's 25 times worse than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. So that's going to drown Miami, and it's going to drive sea level rise up more. It's going to drive— and, You know, not to go too off the, the course, but there's a huge methane gas leak going on in Los Angeles that's been heavily underreported in the press. Yeah, and— But uh, there's an entire neighborhood of, like, high-end homes where nobody can go home because there's— the gas leak is is just destroying the quality of life. You can't live there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's destroying the air. So unless yeah. you don't drink water and unless you don't breathe air, you got nothing to worry about from fracking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in the case of California, it's a poster child for how allowing an industry to regulate itself creates these problems. I mean, they are they were allowed to be on the honor system, and this is what we got. So you guys have an enormous group on Facebook. Um, let's tell our audience where they can find out more about the Urban Paradise Guild. Uh, Sam, I appreciate you coming onto the program. You have a couple minutes left. So where can they find out more? How can they get involved? Because people who are listening to this, if, if this doesn't stir you to action, uh, nothing will. Like, if we don't get involved, we're going to be drowning, literally drowning in the problems that come up 
in the next 10, 20, 30 years. We've got to do something about it today. Yeah. So where can they go online to find out more? Well, so? they can find us online uh, on Facebook. Just look up UPG, and it'll come up, Urban Paradise Guild UPG. That's our Facebook group. Just ask to join it. On our website, uh, on the interweb, we're at urbanparadiseguild.org. You'll find our calendar there. We need volunteers. That's we need, U-R-B-A-N-P-A-R-A-D-I-S-E, urbanparadiseguild, G-U-I-L-D.com. Dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Yes. And then finally, um, the uh, Freedom Energy Ride leaves tomorrow morning. You'll find it on our Facebook page. Uh, we're headed up to Tallahassee to... Tell the politicians that we, the people, genuinely care about these issues. Uh, we care about solar choice. We care about energy freedom. We care about fracking. And the answer is do right by us. And uh, you can also be found on Twitter and some other social networks. Yeah, we're at Urban Paradise uh, on Twitter. And that's uh, basically where we're most active on Facebook or on Twitter. Sure. So tweet at them at Urban Paradise. Yeah. Absolutely. Tweet this. So uh, save Miami from drowning, folks. Come out, get involved. We need your help. Uh, we're building board uh, positions and committees behind the scenes. We need p- professional skills and hours. Hell, we need a thousand feet of chain link fence, six foot tall. We need all kinds of things. So be in touch, please. And uh, when is the next local event going on? Oh, gosh. Uh, let's see here. Thursday morning at Amelia Earhart Park, we're doing agriculture. Friday, we're at Vizcaya. Uh, Saturday, we're at Amelia. Sunday, we're at Amelia. And it's all on our calendar. All righty. And you can find out more at urbanparadise.org. Urban Paradise Guild. Urbanparadiseguild.org. That's right. All righty. Sam, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and good luck on the trip. Thank you so much, and I'll be looking out for you all, too. And we'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show.